Hello, podcast listeners. Welcome to Theology and Iran. I got a couple quick announcements before we get into our show today, which I'm so excited about. Um, the show, not the announcements. Well, I'm kind of excited about the announcements too, but more excited about the show that you're going to listen to. This is a very intriguing conversation. I can't wait for you to listen to this. Uh, but first, uh, I want to let you know that we are adding lots of speaking events to my schedule. I will be in Grand Rapids in May, going back to Grand Rapids in May. Just love that city. I'll be in Indianapolis, Fort Wayne, Richmond, Virginia, and New York City in September. That's going to be a busy month. Uh, Colorado Springs, Temecula, and Minneapolis in October and November. All those dates and times and details and yada, yada, yada will be found at centerforfaith.com and go to the speaking events and you can find out uh, more details about those events. It may take another week or so for those to all be up on the website, but just if you live in those cities, then just keep a lookout at centerforfaith.com and go to the events page for more details. Also, the Digital Leaders Forum on Faith, Sexuality, and Gender is out. It is available if you go to digitalleadersforum.org, that's digitalleadersforum.org, it'll take you to the uh, landing page where you can preview the course for free. Um, and you can purchase the course. You can watch the trailer to the course. The course is the most comprehensive course, online course, on faith, sexuality, and gender that's available. As far as I can tell, I, I've, I've scoured the internet to see, is there anything else out there like this? And currently there is not. Um, 22 video lessons, over eight hours of video content, pastoral panels discussing ministry questions, uh, lots of biblical theological teaching, Q&A, interviews with LGBTQ Christians, and much, much more. That's digitalleadersforum.org to go preview the course for free. All right. Okay. So my guest on the show today, I should give some backstory on how I even reached out to my guest, but... um, well, my guest is James Shoup, formerly known as Jamie Shoup. Jamie, well, James Shoup, was the first legally recognized non-binary person back in 2016. And you'll hear the story to this in the interview. Uh, James went in to get, uh, you know, he went into the courts and, and filed to be recognized as non-binary, not trans or other or whatever, male, female, but as non-binary. And, uh, he lived as a, well, as a trans person for a while. And then as a non-binary person. And then just recently, as of January, 2019 came out saying the whole thing was a sham. I'm a, I'm a man, I'm a a male. And I have been deeply harmed by, um, an ideology that, um, nudged me to identify as non-binary and or transgender. It's a fascinating story. Uh, Jamie has served in the military for a number of years. He is a retired sergeant from the military. Um, and he just has a fascinating, fascinating story, fascinating story. Now here's the thing with fascinating stories is they are stories and, and Jamie's story is one story. And so we can't, here's the thing, and we talk about this later on in the conversation, I just want to say it up front um, as well, that uh, we can't read an entire people group um, through the lens of one story. One story is one story. And these stories are super important to to hear. And one of the reasons why I wanted to have uh, James, (laughs) I keep calling him Jamie, but Jamie is his former name, but James is his uh, birth name that he now uses. James's story, as you'll hear, is one that is not um, uh, 
prioritized, if you will, in many media outlets. Uh, for instance, when, as you'll hear, when James um, was the first legally recognized non-binary person, he was flooded with news interviews and publicity, and he, he was in all kinds of mainstream um, news outlets. But now when he reversed his identity, went back to his male identity, his, his birth sex, you know, he said it was like crickets. Oh, he, he said the only people that wanted to hear a story now were those on the right, you know. Um, but the people that championed his story at the beginning um, when he transitioned to non-binary are now not interested in him. And, and now, you know, only right-wing media outlets are wanting to hear his story. And I just find that a little bit disingenuous. I think that his story is his story. We need to publicize it, whether it agrees with our narrative or not. So, um so without further ado, let's just get into the conversation. I want you to welcome to Theology in the Raw, James, formerly known as Jamie Shoup. Okay, and we are live uh, with Jamie Shoup. Jamie, thank you so much for being on the show. I can't tell you how excited I am to talk with you. <laughs> Thanks so much for having me. So uh, l why don't we just go, I want you to share your story. And I know that's, that could take probably several days to really unpack <laughs> everything, but let's just go back to, give us a brief snapshot of your early life and also maybe your, uh, you know, what brought you into your military service. And then we'll go from there. Yes, so I, I was born in Washington, D.C. I grew up in the, in the suburbs of Rockville initially until um, I was about 13 years old. I mean, that was a true white picket fence kind of thing. Um, while it looked good on the outside, there was a lot of turmoil because I was being sexually abused by an, uh, a male uncle. Mm. There was a, a lot of alcoholism on my father's side of the family, um, a lot of violence associated with that. Um, one of my uncles committed suicide when it, during that time uh, in my younger years. So just, just total complete turmoil during most of my childhood. And then uh, my parents uprooted us uh, from there, took us to Southern Maryland, which was like going from the city to the country. Mm -hmm. And I, I went from you know, the, that nice, um, almost, well, almost practically an upper middle class upbringing to actually becoming uh, suddenly poor and needing to work on a tobacco farm to you know get money for school clothes mm. wow. yeah so yeah. that that was kind of the the backdrop of me entering the military okay so you entered the military were you uh, 18 years old when you went in and um i was going on going on 19 mm -hmm. um you know people tend to think with the trans thing that, you know, I went in there to quote man up <laughs> and that, that, that wasn't the case at all. I mean, it was like in 11th grade, the recruiters showed up and they did the aptitude testing. Mm -hmm. And I think it was like 110 to be an officer. I scored a 125. Wow. So I was like way up on the test. And, w and once I did, I mean, they started showing up at the gas station I was working at. They started calling the house all the time. And me coming from a poor family, I was like, okay, this, this sounds like a good idea to go ahead and get in the military because I'm expected to be out on my own soon. Mm -hmm. yeah. did, did, you did you experience gender dysphoria growing up? Was this something you went through as a, as a child? No, and, and um, yeah, that's an interesting thing because 
I equate it to kind of like growing up on a desert island. I wasn't around any trans people. I wasn't around any gay people. I had no concept of, of transgender that it even existed. So yeah, so I, I think that was like formative and in, in, in me <laughs> yeah. helping to make this thing fall apart because that I look back on that now and say, yeah, this, this wasn't really a thing. Wow. Yeah. Um, so let's fast forward then to just a few years ago, you became the first, as far as I understand, the first legally recognized non-binary person, somebody who, who is recognized by the law, not as male or female, but as non-binary. Is that, is that correct? And I, I imagine you probably fought pretty hard to get that. Mm. No, I didn't fight hard at all. Um, <laughs> it was, yeah, it's, it's a really sad situation. I mean, it was the first time in United States history that someone had been issued a court order declaring them neither male or female. Hmm. And I accomplished it really easily. I mean, I wow. hired a lawyer. He said it was, you know, hey, Jamie, it's $350 an hour. How many hours do you want? It took three hours to win. Oh, my gosh. Wow. Yeah. The judge just rubber stamped the decision. How, how, so that was very public. Um, and how was the, let's just say the greater LGBT community or, or let's more specifically maybe the um for lack of better terms the transgender activist community not just you know people with gender dysphoria but people who are you know really active in in that community did, were you hailed like did they come around you were you hailed as a hero did they were they aware of what was going on with you they weren't necessarily hailing me as a hero originally but they didn't have any choice in the matter because I, I was suddenly so famous and I had trans activists reaching out to me and basically telling me how they wanted me to talk. Really? Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. They were literally trying to say, you know, okay, you're, you're an activist like us now, and this is the party language and this is what's acceptable for you to say. And this is what's not acceptable for you to say. And I'm like, no, wait a minute here. <laughs> really? Yes. That was, yeah. And what was, what did you, was it that catch you off guard or, I mean, how did you respond to that? I told them that I wasn't going to be led like that, that I was going to say what I had to say. Yeah. Hmm. Wow. Did they kind of not like that? <laughs> did you gonna... No, they, they didn't like that at all because like, for example, they didn't want me to talk about surgeries because okay. they knew that I had a history of saying, you know, I don't agree with surgeries. I think it's a bad thing. Oh, so be, when you were <clears throat> non-binary, you had already prior spoken out against surgeries you weren't never you were never pro surgery right? you know when when i first quote transitioned to female although i hate that word we'll yeah. just use it because you know an absence of language because you can't really transition to anything but mm -hmm. when i first uh, switched to being a female i was all you know gung-ho and gonna get surgeries and then i started seeing the horror show of, of the people who had been maimed and all the surgeries that went wrong and that turned me against it. And I, I started speaking out against it. Surgeries that went wrong because they just weren't, they were kind of botched or just surgery maybe in general um, is just harmful or both or. They're botched across the board. I mean, sure. I've got a transgender archive site and, and you can find everything from botched breast augmentations to botched genital surgeries to botched facial surgeries. I mean, the whole thing is a horror show. Hmm. So yeah. your your um your concern about the surgery it wasn't if I could put it like this and correct me if I'm wrong it wasn't necessarily moral as it was just pragmatic like you didn't see anything morally wrong with somebody transitioning it was just uh, just 
there's a pragmatic fallout like this is not gonna this could not go well you didn't want to roll the dice with that would that be an accurate way to capture how you were thinking a couple years ago um it's kind of a mixed bag i mean in the later years i i resented that people were using that to say this you know this is okay see i had the surgery that makes me a female i fixed my birth defect hmm. yeah because that, that's like part of the language i was taught you know you you frame your genitals as being a birth defect and it's being fixed oh really yeah Wow. Okay. So it's not true. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's an interesting definition of birth defect, but um, the presence of a functioning genitalia. Um, uh, so let's fast forward a little bit now. And I, I, I saw somewhere maybe, Oh, I think it was in your Twitter bio that you say uh, Blanchard was correct. Uh, I was suffering from autogenophilia. Now for our audience, Ray Blanchard is a very, well-known, very accomplished uh, psychologist who specializes in the area of uh, gender dysphoria, especially in, among children. But he, he does have, he's, ha he's been controversial in the sense, I think he's doing very credible science, but he, he has a category, uh, a subset of a transgender experience, which he calls autogenophilia. Now, would you, I, I want, and I, you know, I can unpack that, but I'd rather have you unpack mm -hmm. that. Can you tell us about the journey you're kind of getting introduced to Ray Blanchard's material and then discovering autogetophilia and then realizing, hey, I think I'm the one, I have this kind of condition. Well, you, you could do, I have to preface this with it. You could make a, a college course about Blanchard's autogetophilia <laughs> thing. It's, it, it's really deep. It's some of it's really academic. Yeah. But okay, so like me coming into the trans community, I had no idea who Blanchard was. I had no idea what autogynophilia was, but I soon found out that, that Blanchard was, was this bad guy to be avoided at all costs and that it, everything he said was to be discredited. So I, you know, initially I, I dug into it a little bit and, and what Blanchard says is there's two kinds of transsexuals. Mm -hmm. There's like a, a homosexual kind and they are attracted to male bodies and they want to be female and they basically want to want to attract us a, a straight male and they have a genuine physical attraction to the male body. Now the other type is, is where I fall into. I am attracted to the idea of myself as a woman. Hmm. So it's like, instead of me looking at a woman and say, I want to have sex with her, somebody mm -hmm. who's really beautiful. Mm -hmm. It's more of like, I transfer that to myself and say, wow, I want to, I want to look like her. I want to be her. I want to experience sex as her. And that's Blanchard's other type of, of transsexual. So yeah, so the trans community wants to shut down any conversation about Blanchard and discredit him as much as possible. Yeah, and that's so unfortunate because I mean, he, it's not like he's, um, he's, from my vantage point, I've read you know, many articles by him and then others like you know, Ken Zucker and um, J. Michael Bailey. And you know, there's a whole kind of scientific community that would, you know, um, that is kind of opposed to ideology driving science, which is happening all over the place, it seems like, from my vantage point. And when I read Blanchard, I see not somebody who is, like, you know, he gets labeled as trying to harm, you know, transgender people, whatever. I don't see that at all, really. I just see him looking at the science and looking at case after case after case and saying, hey, this is just, it is what it is. Like, we can't just ignore that autogenophilia exists just because it has a persona around it that could be offensive um see but that's what makes this thing a cult because because cults try to control information mm. 
and and they don't want you they don't want people like me the members to to read this stuff to study this stuff because you know what the moment i did the moment i opened my eyes to it mm-hmm. i was like wow blanchard nailed me to a t really yeah that was part of me going back to my birth sex now um are you familiar with uh, j michael bailey he's in that community too um oh yeah he he's yeah. really been beat up on too yeah. So when I, I read his book, uh, The Man Who Would Be Queen, which is largely about autogenophilia, and he, you know, and he's a pretty bold, bold guy. He, he does, you know, yeah. he mix any words. <laughs> but uh-huh. he, he said that it's to the T. Um, you can you can you can diagnose somebody that has autogenophilia. He says somebody who has you know a his, history of cross dressing in private. Usually they have a desire to transition later in life. Usually they're, they've been married to a woman. They're almost always, I mean, maybe exclusively biologically male. And they would have a more, for lack of better terms, a more masculine kind of presence, you know? Like they don't have stereotypical feminine kind of qualities or interests. Um, and he says, look, if, if you, you know, he almost has a checklist, I think, in his book saying, mm-hmm. you know, if, if you see this, 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 boom, autogenophilia. And w- would you say that that is more or less true that you do have a that it is kind of easy to identify somebody who identifies as trans and is also of the autogenophilia type or if that makes sense yeah i mean if you when you just break it down at the most simplest level it's it's real easy to spot um Mm -hmm. the gay males who are super feminine from birth Mm -hmm. versus the people like me yeah but you but you know an important part of this conversation would be Okay, and this is like a conversation no therapist ever had w- with me, which is really tragic. But if you but if you open up DSM five, and you break out the what do you call it the definitions for gender dysphoria. Yeah. So one one of the definitions is that you believe that you possess stereotypical traits of the opposite sex. Hmm. That again nails me to a T. That would have been really helpful for for a therapist to sit down and open up that book. You know five, six years ago and go over this with me, but not, none of them ever did at any point. Mm. And so where I'm going with this is like, I've always believed myself to be super feminine. Mm. And so the people like me, even though the rest of the world doesn't see that, it's mm. basically in my head. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Cause you know, I mean, we just met and I'm looking at your picture now and hearing you, you, you don't like, <laughs> you don't present yourself on the outside as stereotypically feminine from the little, you know, we've, we've been talking here, you know, because um, you're saying internally, you very much have a yeah. resonate with more feminine interests internally, but not externally. Yeah. Okay. And, and basically we use stereotypes to do that, which is another, you know, tragic flaw with this. Yeah. That, so that's my, here's, here's something that seems like a, a, a gaping hole in some of the logic and correct me if I'm wrong. It seems like so much of a transgender ideology. And when I say, I really want to distinguish because I have several friends who wrestle with debilitating gender dysphoria who are generally trying to seek help. And, and um, a lot of them are, you know, would be really religious, you know, Christians who are saying like, Mm -hmm. I don't think it's actually morally right to transition, but I still have this condition that I'm wrestling with. So I I want to just always make a distinction. Let's talk talk about that too, but go ahead. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And and I want to make a distinction between people who are, let's just say genuinely struggling and seeking help rather than an ideology that is shutting down scientific conversations for the sake of promoting an ideology. But, um, uh, oh shoot! What was I? I was going somewhere with this. Um, Stereotypes. Yeah, yeah. This, but so let's just the 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 aggressive transgender ideology seems to assume um, 
gender stereotypes that were largely formed by 20th century patriarchal anti-women. You know, like it seems that you know feminists have fought so hard to get rid of these stereotypes, and it seems like some branches of a transgen the transgender movement are resurrecting these old stereotypes. It just seems so contradictory. Like, you know, I ask people, you know, are you trans affirming or are you a feminist? And some people say, oh, I'm both. I'm like, I don't know. These seem these these ideologies seem to really clash, which is why, as you know, so many radical feminists are you know, uh, up in arms. I mean, and, and aggressively so with, with some of the ideologies. So yeah, am I missing something? That I, so again, to, to go back, is it true that a transgender ideology is relying upon cultural stereotypes for its ideology to even work? The whole house of cards is built on stereotypes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, there's, there's no nice way to say that, but it's true. Everything is built on stereotypes. Like, you know, if, how, how, would, how would somebody like me become a woman? So the answer is I would put a long wig on. I would put a dress on as feminine as possible. I would wear makeup. I would wear heels. Um, small breasts wouldn't be okay. I would have to have the biggest breasts possible. I wouldn't want to be overweight. I would want to be as thin as possible. I mean, just every imaginable you know, stereotype that, that you can throw out there about a woman is how I would become a woman. How are you not resurrecting the mid 20th century male dominated patriarchal view of women, <laughs> you know, it's like, it's like you're living out the dream of every, you know, uh, misogynist <laughs> man from the 1940s and fifties. I mean, again, I was, yeah, I mean, yeah, you're, you're, you're playing right in, into that role to also attract one of them. <laughs> yeah. Wow. But you know, think about the, the, the female to male side of the house. Do you see any transgender men that, that look like, rock stars yeah. nope they all they all look like crew cut military guys and and have beards yeah wow it, Let, it's nothing you, but stereotypes what well, how would they respond to that because that just seems like such a blatant you know do they just dismiss it or it just seems like such a hole in the like you said the house of cards do they just ignore it or I don't care what they do with it. I just tell them like it is. That's, that's, that's what you're doing. That's what I was doing. And, and we need to tell the truth about what we've been doing here. Yeah. yeah. Which is but also, you know, which, go ahead. Go ahead. Well, as I say, it's also was, harmful towards boys who may not be, who may not match up to stereotypical masculinity. You know, maybe they're into art and dancing and, you know, playing the violin instead of sports, which is perfectly fine that you're still a male. And like, what, one of the biggest problems in, in society is, force, is forcing these stereotypes on people and, and messing them up. And it's like, man, it seems like, yeah, the, some transgender activists are at least just keeping those stereotypes alive, which is just hurtful for so many reasons. Yeah, I mean, when, when you break this thing down, okay, so what they are doing, they're, they're basically saying that if you're a masculine female, that you need to become a male. Mm -hmm. And if you're a feminine male, you need to become a female based on these stereotypes. So they're, they're just creating this endless cycle uh, of creating more clones of them rather than, as the feminists say, you know, fix the problems within society. Because, <clears throat> you know, how can I be a feminine male when all these trans guys are becoming males and, and their definition of a male is, is a crew cut and a beard? Wow. Yeah. I'm going to keep chewing on that. Uh, uh, I want to move forward just, just slightly now, because a couple months ago, you came out, and again, according to your Twitter, I don't have your Twitter bio in front of me, but I remember you saying something like, 
you know, the whole thing was a sham. I'm male and Blanchard is right, you know, and so you, you went public with just this, you know, going to get, you know, going against your non-binary identity. So how have, or let me, let me just be really specific. Like what uh, was going on inside of you maybe in a couple of months before leading up to your public kind of renouncement of your previous non-binary identity? Yeah, we should really start. Let's let's. It's, it might take a few minutes if you if you don't mind the That's time, fine. but but minutes. let's let's start in like September of 2016. Okay. So I walked into the VA for an appointment with uh, at the women's clinic, and I, I told the doctor, "Look, I've been using a breast pump on on my breast, mm-hmm. and I want I want bigger breast." And she didn't really even, and I even said to her that I wanted a lactation drug. Wow. You know, this is all like red flags for Blanchard stuff. I and mean, this is textbook Blanchard. Hmm. And she, and, and the VA had passed down transgender medicine to primary care. So it's like all these doctors just wear a trans medicine hat and, and you know, practice medicine alongside that. So she was clueless. She wrote me a prescription for six milligrams of estrogen. She's so like, okay, you know, this will make your breast grow sent me on my way. So by January 2017, I was in the emergency room because they should have never gave somebody over 40 years old oral estrogen, especially not a dose of six milligrams. So my, my legs were swollen up and they thought I had blood clots. They, they gave me some uh, ultrasound testing, said, okay, you need to cut back on the hormones. And I halved them. So I went down to just the progesterone and like two or three milligrams of estrogen. So September 2017, I'm back in the emergency room, legs messed up again. They diagnosed me with vasculitis and said, you know, the veins in my legs were starting to get messed up. The estrogen was damaging my kidneys. My kidneys weren't reading fully functioning anymore. And the emergency room doctor at the VA in Reno, Nevada, he's like, hey, you, you've got to quit the hormones. So I did. I stopped them that day. And we were traveling in the camper. I ended up in Palm Springs, California, like two weeks later. I made an appointment at an LGBT clinic. I go in and, and the doctor says like, oh, wow, the VA should have never stopped you from taking hormones. Um, so what we need to do is we need to treat you like a trans kid, being that you don't like the big scary needles. And we'll just do like subcutaneous injections, but we're going to get you back on estrogen. So I took estrogen injections for five weeks in a row. And my mood just like spiraled out of control. Mm. It just like shut my testosterone off really quick, which my, my testosterone had been creeping up um, over the summer on the reduced estrogen, estrogen amounts. So it, it was actually back to almost normal male levels. And I didn't even know that. And so they gave me these five weeks of estrogen injections. And my mood just went totally out of control by shutting off my testosterone really quick. And what ended up happening was, so November and December of 2017, I ended up in the psych ward at, at VA. Wow. I could not control my emotions. My emotions and thoughts were just all over the place. I was like going off in all these different courses of direction every few hours, every few days. I was going, okay, I'm going back to male. Now I'm going to go female. Now I'm going to be non-binary. I was just like a total psych case mess. Mm-hmm. And so, they, you know, I was off hormones again. And even in February, I was still messed up and had to go through a two-week uh, mental health rehab, which cost the taxpayers another $30,000. Wow. And so 
May of 2018, I went back on, started back on finasteride because my testosterone coming back, my skin was a mess. I was getting all these gross all over me. I had acne and, and the testosterone was feeding the autogynephilia thing. I was starting to to want to cross dress again. I was wanting to have sex with you know risky sex with men. My behavior was just getting really out of hand. So, you know, we started me back on finasteride, then then we started me back on estrogen. And when we did, I went through same thing I've been through every time. I went through what they call a testosterone surge. As they were trying to shut my testosterone down, my body was fighting it and producing more. Oh, wow. which just made all my behavior all that much worse. And then finally around October of, of 2018, my testosterone was, was shut down enough that it wasn't affecting me anymore. And all the feeling of wanting to be a girl went away. The, the gender dysphoria went away. You know, the mm-hmm. urge to cross-dress went away. I was kind of like in this dead zone of with, with my testosterone shut off enough where it wasn't driving my behavior anymore. Wow. And it, yeah, so it, it taught me a lot. I mean, I think a lot of people say this is what it means to feel like a girl when they transition. Mm-hmm. No, it's just being a chemically castrated male is what it is. Oh my God. And, and that was the point where I was able to open my eyes and, and break out the Blanchard and start reading about my behavior. Mm-hmm. And, and I did. And I was like, it's like I said earlier, I mean, what Blanchard said fit me to a T, you know, right down to me wanting to lactate and, you know, my desire to have, have sex with men and, and seeing myself as a woman. I didn't care what the man looked like. I, I just wanted to see myself as a woman having sex with him. Everything Blanchard said about me was true. Wow. So, so I had that in the back of my head. Um, you know, I wrestled with the, the fakeness of my court decision because mm. Um, I don't know, we didn't talk about this earlier, but like when I went to court, my lawyer had told me beforehand that the judge had a transgender child. Oh, wow. So basically my court decision was a sham. I mean, the judge didn't ask me any questions and only, the whole thing only took minutes and I walked away with a landmark decision. Wow. So I had the planter thing. I had the fraud thing. And yeah, I, I, what I was doing to my wife and I also had a lot of guilt that I had led people's children down this path. Mm. And, and all these things coming together, you know, eventually equaled in January 25 of 2019 of me going in the DMV and saying, I'm a male. Really? Yeah. And what's it been like publicly in the last, let's just say, two and a half months or so? Have you gotten a lot of flack for your <laughs> more recent decision to go back to your male sex? Um. It was actually hard initially to get anybody to report it. As hard really? as that, yeah. I mean, you know, I went from being in People, Time, the New York Times, the Sydney Morning Herald, Der Spiegel, headlines all over the world, to nobody would talk about it. Wow. And that's and that's why I got on Twitter and made the announcement. And that finally just became this little little stone that started rolling down the hill, and it's gotten bigger and bigger. Yeah. So are more people reaching out to you now for you to tell your story or? It's still only on the right. There's not a single publication on the left that, that has told the world that I returned to my male birth sex. Is that, I mean, I know we all, you know, we talk about media bias and I think it's, I would say without dispute really that there is media bias, especially in this, in this conversation. I mean, would you just, that, that is fascinating that people are just rushing to tell your story 
when you fit their narrative and now you've disrupted their narrative and now it's crickets like that. I mean, is <laughs> this seems clear evidence of media bias, right? I mean, it's the ultimate example of media bias. And, and, you know, people now accuse the right of using me and, yeah. and, and the people of faith of using me just like the left used me. But you know what? After everything I've been through and after everything I've saw and all the carnage I've witnessed, uh -huh. I say, you know what? I, I welcome the right and, and the people of faith to wield me like a sledgehammer to destroy this mess. Yeah. And, and just to be, I guess, fair, you know, anecdotal stories do, are limited, you know, and I know several anecdotal stories of people mm -hmm. who detransitioned and just said exactly everything you're saying to the T. And yet that doesn't deny that there are some st other stories too, anecdotal stories that, you know, other people can use and say, no, this person was about to kill themselves. They transitioned and that was 30 years ago and they had never been happier, you know, and we can go, you know, go back and forth whether that's true or not, you know, but that, that's another story. So um, yeah, I think we should be clear that, yeah, just, just for my audience, my intention to have you on the show was absolutely not, not at all to use one anecdotal story to sort of deconstruct a whole ideology. My motivation though is exactly what you said, that it is sad that, everything is so unbalanced that people do race to tell one type of story and then the other type of story of detransitioning or whatever is just is totally neglected and i think that's just completely wrong so that's that's my motivation <laughs> yeah i mean they're they're controlling the narrative but i mean look at look at the way media is built nowadays i mean it's controlled by a bunch of billionaires mm -hmm. you know these folks these owners have to be exerting some editorial control over what goes on at their publications. Yeah. 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 Totally. You, you mentioned, so we, before we, I mentioned in passing, you know, people who are genuinely struggling with gender dysphoria, they're not, um, you know, pushing an ideology. They're not waving their identity in people's faces. They're, they're just like, I have this, this condition that I'm trying to make sense of. And you said you had some thoughts on that. Do you want to, if there's people listening, well, I have several people in my audience that would have gender dysphoria um, and yet, you know, would say that I'm, I'm trying to live out my biological sex. I identify with my biological sex, but man, I just have this unchosen condition that is, can be debilitating. What would you say to them? I say that they're talking the narrative. Okay. You know, when, it, when I came, so, you know, an interesting thing in my trajectory is like I was heavily involved in, in the mental health side of the house because of all my, my PTSD. They think I have bipolar disorder. You know, one psychiatrist at the VA even thinks I have borderline personality disorder. Mm -hmm. So I came into trans through the mental health system and, and came into it thinking that it was going to fix my mental health. So these folks are, are basically talking the narrative that they want everybody to hear. You know, I learned in the mental health system how to weaponize suicide. You know, if you want to go into the psych ward, you can report to any single you know, emergency room in the country and say, I want to kill myself, and you'll go in the psych ward. Hmm. I mean, you know, trans folks have, have weaponized that as well. And the, the suicide statistic you're saying, the 41% or 40% of trans people who have suicide ideation, you're saying that, that that's been weaponized? Yeah, at a nuclear level. Yeah, you know, yeah. Let me point out something really interesting to you. I hope you'll find this interesting. Okay, so just about every media article written normally mentions the 41% suicide rate, except another category. When they write articles about transgender military service, all of a sudden they don't talk about the suicide rate anymore. Hmm. 
Be, okay. Why? Because it would make it look bad. <laughs> so they, yeah, they, they, that's another way that the media manipulates the suicide thing. Hmm. Yeah, I seen, look at that all the time. I've seen some pushback on the suicide rate as well. Um, oh, there's a professor, adjunct professor at San Francisco State. San Francisco State? Uh, Hoc, is it Hoxa? Um, it was a former um, male to female trans person who has a very similar story to yours. He would live that way seven years and then said, this mm -hmm. is rubbish and went back to living out his, his male identity. And it is a psychology, like a psychology professor. Um, and they have a long article, I think on trans trender or fourth wave. Now one of those sites. Fourth, so fourth wave. Now I know who you're talking about now. Yeah. 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 And they, uh, he, yeah, pushes back on this. He, you know, says, yes, the suicide rate is, is higher. Um, uh, but it's, that the 41% has been inflated. But then I think he also said, well, we have to look at, you know, suicidality is incredibly complex. Like you can't just draw a straight line between, you know, um, the moral majority on the right, you know, causing suicide rates because they don't accept trans people or something like, okay, mm -hmm. maybe, maybe that's, that's one possible cause, but you can't just assume they can draw a straight line from one thing to another without analyzing all other, you know, maybe you know, uh, mental health issues that might be going on alongside gender dysphoria. Yeah, see, and you just nailed it to a T because almost all of these suicides are mentally health related, <clears throat> but what they do is they weaponize them and they blame it on society. It's, you right. know, people use the wrong pronouns. You didn't, accept, you didn't accept this person's gender identity. That's why they committed suicide. You know, they ignored that the person had bipolar disorder or PTSD or major depressive disorder. All, none of that seems to matter anymore. Yeah. Or even I just read recently that um, people who experience gender dysphoria are also seven times more likely to be on the autism uh, spectrum, um, which is, isn't make you suicidal, but it, just, it does say that like there's, there's things going on here. And according to suicide.org, I mean, 90% of actual suicides happen because of an undiagnosed mental health issue. Um, so when we ignore mental health questions, when we're talking about this conversation and then also talk about suicide, it's like, well, man, well, let's, let's, you can't, you can't elevate the suicidality and then say, but we don't want to talk about mental health issues because that's politically incorrect. Like, that's just not, again, that's, seems to me like is actually itself harmful towards actual people. But you know, I mean, I, I did it too. You know, when I, when I, the night that I told my spouse that I wanted to quote, you know, transition to being a female, I had her read an article I downloaded from a psychologist. And after she read it, I basically told her, like, either you let me become a woman or I'm shooting myself in the head. Hmm. I mean, so, I, you know, I learned how to weaponize it, and I did weaponize it. Yeah. When you said you were kind of coached early on by the, by the activists on what to say, how to say it, was weaponizing suicidality part, part of that? Were they, have, you, have you seen where people are being coached to use that as a weapon? Or, or you would find that more in a place like Reddit. You're okay. not you're not going to find one of the nonprofit activists actually, okay. you know, espousing espousing that in, in a in a cafe like like the talks I had with them. Let's um, I know we're kind of jumping around, but th let's talk about children. Um, you mentioned uh, I'm going to quote your website here. You said I will not be a party to advancing harmful gender ideologies that are ruining lives, causing deaths and contributing to the sterilization and mutilation of gender-confused children. That's been a growing topic uh, in this conversation. You know, 
okay, it's one thing for a, a mature adult to make a decision to transition, look, look, free country, do what you want. But when an ideology is now influencing what some would call the ex experimenting on children, that's just can, it, from my vantage point, in some cases feels very almost barbaric, you know? Um, how, all, yeah, that's all like background to my question. My question to you is, what are your concerns with this conversation in terms of uh, how it affects children? Well, <clears throat> the biggest problem is parents can't say no. I mean, this has progressed to the point where some of these gender, prominent gender clinicians are basically advocating for child protective services to show up and take children away. Yeah, I mean, Fourth Wave now writes about uh, cases of this. But yeah, I mean, if you you can't find um, a therapist to actually you know, do an unbiased diagnosis, it's all <clears throat> goes into like the conversion therapy stuff. You know, everything's being passed now where gender identity is piggybacking on, on the gay conversion therapy. That's so yes. the, yeah. So, yeah, if, a, so if a parent tries to steer a child away from their chosen identity and, and tries to help them to identify with their biological sex, people will map that onto conversion therapy, right? And say that that's abusive and destructive and... Yeah, I mean, and that's being written into law. So you can't even find a therapist like Zucker anymore to work with a kid because it's been made illegal. You have, <clears throat> you're stuck with all these therapists where you walk in and, and the therapist automatically goes, sure, you're a boy, sure, you're a girl, I don't want to lose my license. Is that what it is? Is it fear? Because I mean, I, my question is, how do, how do we get here? Is, is it just an overarching fear of, of losing your job, losing your license? Yeah, I mean, that, that is a real fear when that's your livelihood. Yeah. And, and not only that, you get professionally stigmatized as well. Yeah. Wow. So my biggest, here's my biggest question that I, I don't know what to do with. When I read the experts, the scientific experts in this field, I'm talking about I mean, we've already mentioned, you know, yeah, Ken Zucker and, 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 um, and Blanchard or even, you know, S Susan Bradley, who's, you know, world-renowned mm -hmm. expert for a number of years. There's um, a person in the UK whose name, my name escapes me. But I mean, and these are not like, you know, as a, as a Christian, you know, I, I remind people, these are not like fundamentalist Christians. These are people who would be politically liberal. <laughs> They're not like pushing some religious agenda that they, they are the, ex, the scientific experts in the field who are even pro transitioning for a mature adult. I mean, Ken Zucker got fired, if I remember correctly, yeah. not telling people not to transition, but just saying, you know what, let's put the brakes a little bit. Let's live out your cross gender identity for maybe a year socially before we medically intervene like that. He wasn't saying I'm against transitioning and they, as far as I understand, they got him fired for it. M my question is how did, the narrative becomes so embraced ahead of the scientific experts in the field who would be on the liberal left side. Um, I, I just, I, I'm scratching my head how that, how that even happened. Well, <clears throat> sorry, I've got asthma. If, yeah. Okay, so let's, let's start with the word expert. There is no expert. Okay, there's no scientific test for gender identity. So whether we talk about you know, Zucker or Blanchard or whether we go over to the other extreme and we talk about Johanna Olson, hmm. um, nobody can prove gender identity is a real thing. You know, just like you or I can't summon God into a courtroom and prove God is real, they can't summon gender identity into a courtroom either. Yeah, 
nobody really wants to talk about that, but that's how we got here because it's basically just whose opinion do you want to believe? So you're saying in the field, it's, there's just people that do research in this area, but no real national, like recognized experts, like each ideology or each camp has its own kind of research in the field. And that's, that's, that's just kind of the way it is. Yeah. I mean, even, even the research is questionable nowadays because it's a study in search of an outcome Yeah. over and over again. And yeah, I mean, I, I, I used to track the studies a lot on my website. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Everybody's basically doing studies to come up with what, what they want to say for the direction they want it to go. Yeah. I mean, that's how we got into this mess. I mean, this is the lobotomy thing all over again, but nobody wants to admit it. <laughs> So where's this going to end up? I mean, what's the, <laughs> um, you know, I, I made the statement a couple months ago that it's probably going to look, look like a lot like the end of a war. There's going to be a bunch of horribly psychologically damaged people. A lot of folks are going to be missing body parts and there's going to be a public who didn't really understand what happened and isn't necessarily forgiving because they don't like the situation to begin with. Wow. I mean, it's going to end up in courtrooms. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm just so deeply concerned with children too. And especially now that we have, I'm sure you're aware of, you know, rapid onset gender dysphoria with, with, you know, Lisa Littman's study where there seems to be some clear evidence of social contagion that is influencing uh, transgender identities among female teenagers and a lot of social pressure and even media influence and stuff to where now we're at, now we're not even dealing with, just kind of raw, like psychological conditions that we're trying to figure out. But now we're dealing with how an ideology is, is influencing people. And that to me, that's, that, that just isn't going to end well. <laughs> like it can't keep, like you said, yeah, I, I it just can't keep going like that. I mean, the whole, whole thing was never ending well to begin with. Mm-hmm. I mean, anything with such a high suicide rate <laughs> it can't, can't be espoused as a good outcome. But yeah, I mean, it's just growing worse and worse and worse. Yeah, this, I don't have anything good to say. And, 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 I, and I, that goes back to me just stepping out of this and saying, look, folks, this isn't real. I'm, I'm warning you. I'm, I'm separating myself from it. I'm not, having nothing further to do with advancing it. And, you know, do it at your own peril. I, I want to, real quick, you mentioned a name. It's, you know, so we've we've mentioned Zucker, Blanchard, and others on on one side of this, who again aren't anti-transitioning, or they're not anti-trans. They're just saying it's like this is more complex, and we need to be extra careful when we're dealing with children. Who would be some people on the other side who would be scientific? Let's just say they have the credentials. They're not just you know political pundits or bloggers, but they actually have scientific credentials. Um, who are would be on the other side? Who would be very you know opposed to a Ken Zucker, or Ray Blanchard? You know, again, I, I, I'm really leery of that world's scientific credentials because we're talking about people who are oftentimes like psychologists. <laughs> you know? yeah. Those those two words don't go together very well, scientific okay. and, and psychologist. That's that. But um, like Dr. Johanna Olson Kennedy, mm-hmm. um, you know, that's that's an interesting one. Uh, she's married to a transgender man, so how unbiased is she as a researcher? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, she goes she goes home, you know, from the goes home from the gender clinic to her transgender husband, <laughs> you know. So yeah. I, I don't know how somebody like that can get money to do studies, but apparently they did. Um, there's another Olson that two aren't related. Um, 
Christina Olson. Right. Um, there's uh, Diane Ersensaft, I believe it's pronounced. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, okay, so on my transgender archive site, I, I have a page about trans kids, and I've got a whole list of like who all the players are. You're, yeah. you're welcome to, to look at that. Um, yeah, if you want to explore these names. And it's kind of interesting because what I did in, in, on this page is like I took most of the articles that have been written about trans kids. And at the end of the article, when I added it to the page, I added uh, who the players were in the article. Okay. And it's like the, the media pitches them all against one another. So like to have a bad guy in the article, they'll use Zucker. To have, to have a good good person in your article, they'll, they'll use Olsen. Right. Just depending on how the slant of the article they want it to be. That's that's the way they use the characters in the cast. Uh, Julia Serrano is another one, right? Who has a PhD in, in um, oh, I forget what, it's like she's a credible scientist. I mean, okay, you might push back on the word credible, but she's, you know, she, she has scientific credentials who, I think she's, um, I think she's a male to female trans person yeah i mean serrano is a male that identifies as a female yeah. and i don't I, I guess that falls into the old um you can't have the fox guarding the hen house thing <laughs> you know yeah <laughs> anytime that situation is going on I, I don't give the person any any credibility yeah yeah but then you also have on the on the zucker side um oh who's uh it's somebody who identifies as an autogenophiliac male to female researcher who would agree with Zucker and Blanchard and says, no, I have autogenophilia. It is what, you know, <laughs> and yeah, I think, I think you're probably talking about Ann Lawrence. Yes, yes, yes. Ann Lawrence. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so in a yeah, sense, Bla yeah. yeah, Blanchard's, uh, and, and you know, Zucker they're and Bailey, all, you know, they're the unpopular folks, <laughs> even, yeah. even though they're probably the most correct in what's going on here. Yeah. It's just fascinating because I do, you know, I, I work with, uh, or these, you know, friends of mine who are deal with like public school system and the stuff being taught. And it just is so incredibly one-sided. It's not even like, it doesn't even represent kind of both sides well, which again, and again, and again, we're not dealing with like religiously conservative people on one side and then scientists on the other. We're dealing with people who are all like, you know, in the general scientific community, and yet it's just so one-sided, you know? I mean, California is going to pass the thing where kindergartners are taught, you know, that there's 15 genders, which to me, that almost sounds, I'm like, why only 15? I mean, Facebook recognizes like 74. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, you're not as progressive as you think you are. <laughs> it's, it's funny you mentioned that because I, I did a tweet a couple of days ago. And what I said was, you know, when I was a kid, I can still remember, I believe it was in seventh grade, I had this class and, and part of it was about creation and the other part was evolution. Yeah. And they, they pitched both sides at me and they let me decide. Well, when it comes to gender identity, there's no opposing side in the schoolhouse. They're just strictly right. ramming gender identity down the children's throat as, as like it's law. Yeah. You know, yeah. there's, there's, there's a really interesting situation with my judge. Okay. So I became the first, quote, you know, legally non-binary person in, in the country by my judge. And there's a ton of legal cases. It's, it's like almost standard practice when like the ACLU or Lambda files a trans legal case that they will, they will write something to the effect of almost like word for word that everyone, quote, has a gender identity. Mm -hmm. 
and gender identity is the, the deciding factor of what your sex is. So that's written into all these legal cases. So, so keep that thought in mind that, quote, everyone has a gender identity. Okay, so one of the cases my judge decided not long after my case was she got someone become agender. This person's name is Patch. And the interesting thing about agender is it means the person doesn't have a gender identity. Yeah, so how do you determine, so do they therefore not have sex, a sex if, since gender well, identity? <laughs> how did we go from all these legal cases being written where everyone quote has a gender identity to a guy walking into the courthouse and getting a court order saying that he doesn't have a gender identity. Right. I mean, it kind of like blew the whole thing up and just showed me all the more what a big fraud the whole thing is. Oh, man. You yeah, know, I mean, I just, you, yeah. <laughs> you can't square those. You can't square my case and his. Yeah, yeah, that's crazy. You know, I just I just saw that your name is you go by James now. I called you Jamie, which is your former name when I introduced you, I think. So I apologize for that. You you, you go by James now, right? Yes. And don't feel bad. Uh, I mean, I only made the announcement yesterday. Oh, okay. And, um, <laughs> yeah, there, there's a lot to unpack with that because, okay, so my birth name was James Clifford Shoup. Okay. The, uh, the uncle who used to molest me was named Clifford. Oh, gosh. Yeah. And my family always called me Clifford. So it was mm -hmm. like, you know, the Pablo's dog thing of getting my bell rung every time the, the word Clifford was mentioned. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow. So, yeah. So when, you know, an LGBT advocacy group offered to change my name, I jumped on it as part mm -hmm. as part of my gender transition. Okay. Because, yeah, I mean, that was like an escape hatch for, for a name that I always felt had been harming me. Yeah. Wow. Uh, what, what do you plan to do over the next several months with, with this? I mean, just taking each day at a time, I'm sure you're getting hit up for more interviews and, and write-ups. Yeah, I mean, hopefully the interviews are going to start dying down. I've, I've got one every day this week. Wow. Um, yeah, I mean, it's important to tell my story, but it, but it's also really draining. Sure, yeah. A and, you know, with me having PTSD, I mean, you wouldn't want to watch me sleep at night, the things that I do in bed. Oh, God. Um, yeah, I have to sleep in separate beds from my wife now. Wow. But yeah, I mean, it, it's a balance of, of me telling my story and, and me taking care of, of my mental health yeah. and, and, and just moving forward. Um, I mean, I've only been off hormones. I think this is like my third week. Oh, wow. So this is, that's another like major challenge of you know, this testosterone flowing back into my body and, and, and getting therapy to deal with that. Wow. You know, I'm basically going through puberty again. Wow. Yeah. Goodness. Yeah, how's, can I ask? I mean, and, and if you don't want me to go here, that's totally fine. But how's your relationship with your wife and family and everything through all this? Is that been you know, I've probably got the best wife on the planet because oh. I mean, she's been with me from from being a male to, to going to female to going to non-binary and then going back to male. And she hasn't divorced me. Oh, I mean, that says a lot about a woman. Yeah, um, yeah I mean, but she's just the type who who takes her marriage vows very seriously. Um, yeah. and she, she has, has stuck by me and, and I, I can't say enough about her. I mean, I feel terrible for all the things I've put her through. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Well, James, thanks so much for being on the show. I, I know our listeners are probably going to be wrestling with this for, for quite a while. And I do have a lot of listeners that are interested in the sexuality gender conversation, primarily from a faith perspective, but you can't separate I think the faith perspective from what's going on in society. So I, I know um, 
yeah, I think your testimony is going to be really powerful and, and uh, challenging to a lot of our listeners. So thanks so much for being on the show. And I, I know it takes a lot to tell your story and um, just keep it up, man. Uh, yeah. Yeah. You're, you're not the only people seeking my testimony. Some legislators have reached out to. <laughs> oh, good. Good. Yeah. Wow. But thank you for having me. Yeah. And, and if people want to find you, yeah, I'm, I'm looking at your website now. It's uh, jamesshoop.wordpress.com. Uh, is that correct? Um, it should still be under Jamie. I can't change the, the oh, address it on it. Yeah, yeah. Jamie Shoop. Yeah, sorry, jamieshoop.wordpress.com. Uh, if you just Google, yeah, you'd have to Google Jamie Shoop, uh, S-H-U-P-E. And there's a wiki article with links, and that will take you to, you know, both the kind of uh, before and after picture of, of the last several years of your life. Um, so, yeah, encourage people to check you out. Thanks again for having me. You have a wonderful day.